Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 219, Andrade versus Blanchfield, also known as UFC Vegas 69. And with that, we are going to retire that naming convention forever since we hit the magic number. I am your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing a-okay. Uh, peek behind the curtain for all the viewers. Normally, we try to record this show on Wednesday of the week before the fights. Sometimes yeah. life jumps up and bites one or both of us. Tonight, we are recording on Sunday. The Super Bowl wrapped about 20 <laughs> minutes ago, tops. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we would be remiss in not saying a word or two about it. I mean... Oh, my gosh. So, let's say this. MMA fans and, and right now this is when all the the European uh, listeners can like speed ahead for like two minutes or something. Um, we complain about bad calls in MMA. Mm-hmm. It just it happens in every sport. I I am not an Eagles fan by any means. I I'm a Patriots fan. They beat my Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, I I couldn't have cared less who won the Super Bowl between the, the Chiefs and the Eagles. I don't like either team. Mm-hmm. That holding call was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. It literally handed the Chiefs the Super Bowl, the championship. It was horrendous. Don't at me, Kansas City fans. Congratulations on your victory and all that nonsense. But that happens on every single passing play. Every single time a quarterback drops back to pass, a cornerback touches a wide receiver in that way. That was horrendous. It might, I think it's the worst call in the history of the Super Bowl. I think it was that it was, it literally gave them the victory. It was, oh, it was, was, I'm mad. I'm not even an Eagles fan. Yeah, no, no. You know what I'm mad? I'm mad that I wasted like three hours or four hours of my life watching that game and like really the whole season for that ending. Yeah. The NFL should be ashamed of themselves for that. It was, it was terrible. And you make a great point about how that level of quote holding happens on literally every every passing play. I mean, you, you obviously you're a police officer, and I know you are far removed at this point from it, writing traffic tickets if you ever did. Yeah, but it's no. the equivalent of writing someone a ticket for being three miles down oh, the speed exactly. limit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, technically, I can give you a speeding ticket for doing twenty six out of twenty five, but you just don't do it. Yeah. Not with the game on the line. The, the team you're going against the best player on the planet Earth, who's been going up and down the field all game or especially the second half, and then you have this stop, give yourself a chance. You're going to be down by three. You're going to have 90 seconds. You, you know, you'll have to go about 40 yards to get in field goal range, maybe 75 yards to win the game, to win the freaking Super Bowl. And instead yep. you let them run the clock down, kick. It was horrendous. I feel so bad for Eagles fans. Kansas City fans, cool. You're not going to change your mind. So literally don't, don't comment because <laughs> all you're doing is wasting your time. You're not gonna change my. Don't call. Oh, and uh, uh, one of our players at at the three fifteen mark of the third quarter got. Stop! 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 That was terrible. You're not gonna change my mind. Let's talk about this horrendous, fucking terrible card too. And that 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 is more fired up than Keith is gonna be about anything to do <laughs> with the actual UFC card we're talking about here. Um, <clears throat> eleven fight card. Obviously. This would have been fight night, uh, Sandhagen versus Vera. That would have been some hot stuff right there, either paving the way for Corey Sandhagen to get back into the title picture or finally stamping Marlon Vera as, hey, maybe I'm the next guy, you know, after being in this very long line for a very long time. 
that ended up dropping off and getting pushed back um, to UFC 285, 286. It's on the on to one of the next big pay-per-view cards. We thought we were going to get Tyler Santos versus Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, I was looking forward to having that conversation with you, and I'm sure we'll touch on it at least briefly before we talk about the main event we did get, since that dropped off with so little time that I imagine you, like me, had gotten into your prediction process for that one. But yeah. Tyler so Santos want- is out exactly a week before fight night, replaced by Jessica Andrade. So so I want to say this. Uh, sometimes life gets crazy. This was one of the craziest weeks of my life. My, my wife had her. Um, she's, a, she's a music teacher, director, play director. She had her play. She had extra work. I, this is crazy. Everything in life happened those last two weeks. Uh, I think this is the least prepared I've ever been for a card. So don't, don't follow my pick. You said 11 fights. I only saw 10. I just realized that I don't have any notes on Alexander <laughs> Hernandez versus Jim. That's how unprepared I am. So. Well, I, uh, I I got you. I got you on that. All right, cool. I have copious cool. notes on both gentlemen. All right, there uh, you go. <clears throat> this one, to even call it just another fight night card, would be a kindness. I mean, Jessica Andrade versus Aaron Blanchfield is an interesting fight, but however it turns out, this thing was made on a week's notice and might end up determining a title shot. Like that's that's yeah. not ideal. No, because you know what. I, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but if Andrade blows Blanchfield out of the water, did we really learn that much about either one or no. vice versa? You know, uh, I think you learned a little bit about Blanchfield, but yeah, you're, you're setting up a title shot for someone who already fought for the title. Can't get too excited about that. I'm more excited about Andrade fighting back at 115. Again, now she already fought Willie Zhang too. It's just, a, it's just a terrible situation. Like if I was given a grade for this card, like I, a D minus. I'm not going F because you know you still have Blanchfield and yeah. and Jessica Andrade, two really great talents. Main card, you know, main event. Uh, but the rest of the card is hideous. I mean, th- this is a free card, so I'm not even going to ask how much you pay for this. But I'd pay a few bucks to get into the uh, the official weigh-ins and see like. William Knight and Ovin St. Prue get up on there and see if they both make 205. I know they're not fighting each other, but just I'm giving good odds that some that one of our light heavyweights blows weight. I yeah. We'll get there when we get there. Should we just dive into these prelims? Yep. All right. <clears throat> at least as the card is currently constituted, the first fight out of the gate at UFC Fight Night 219 is a flyweight matchup between Juan Camilo Ronderos and Clayton Carpenter. Ronderos. The 27-year-old Colombian is 4-1 overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. He made a short-notice debut all the way back in May of 2021, so almost two years ago, uh, stepping in for the injured or COVID-afflicted uh, Hali Paiva against David Dvorak. He, it did not go well. He got choked out by Dvorak in under half a round. He's been gone for two years since then. Uh, he's had a couple of fights that were made and then canceled, uh, primarily due to him. Finally makes it back into the cage here, and he will be welcoming Carpenter. The 26-year-old Arizona native is 6-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He competed on Dana White's Contender Series last August, where he took a unanimous decision over Edgar Jairez. That was good enough to get him into the UFC, and here he makes his debut, and he is a comfortable favorite. Uh, Carpenter. Minus 280, Ronderos around plus 235. Uh, Keith, I am, okay, 
I'm not going to pretend I even remembered really clearly who Juan Camilo Ronderos was. But once I reminded myself, I realized that I had wiped him out of my brain because I assumed he was going to be one and done in the UFC. <laughs> we, we just talked last night uh, on the UFC 284 recap about Zubaira Takugov, where he, I mean, he's treading on thin ice. He's now missed weight in two weight divisions in the UFC. He's had a failed drug test. He's had a suspension for conduct outside the cage. I mean, he's filling out the whole bingo card of things the UFC does not like. Dude, Juan Camilo Ronderos in one fight, uh, he debuts, he misses weight, he tests positive for cocaine afterwards and draws the USADA suspension for Cocaine. Cocaine, <laughs> which is only a performance-enhancing substance in certain pursuits and MMA is not one of them. Yeah. It makes you, it makes you like a better rock star or, yeah. something, or actor. Or I, I'm sure he did a great job, like throwing his TV out his hotel window afterwards, but it did not help him <laughs> against Dvorak. I mean, obviously you get a pass for blowing weight when you step up on literally one day's notice. Yeah. Like Ronderos had been training in Vegas. Uh, Paiva was out and he got the call. I think he was an extreme couture guy and just stepped in, but he looked terrible against Dvorak. Uh, then yeah. Test positive for cocaine. It's a little tough to. In fairness, you you, you got to remember you did just say he was in Las Vegas. Like who doesn't was, test positive hey, for yeah. cocaine while you're in Las Vegas? Like you should get a freebie for that. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's in a Las Vegas guy. I don't count that. I, I thought it was like the rosin bin over there. He just like you know goes to. to <laughs> he's just like smacking cocaine off his hands as he steps up to like the squat bar. Um, Marderos has other problems than cocaine. Uh, his problem is he's also kind of a squat, undersized flyweight. I mean, from what I saw of him versus Dvorak, I don't think he, he would have give, had much for Dvorak on any kind of camp. Does uh, cocaine stunt your growth? Is that like <laughs> is, that, is that one of those lies that they say? I, well, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to make a, a joke and offend all of our Colombian listeners, but dude, you're from Colombia and you had to go all the way to Vegas to like get to find <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> oh. Camilo's, I mean, Juan Camilo Ronderos is kind of a short squat flyweight. I mean, he was at a serious size disadvantage against Dvorak, and Dvorak was a bad style matchup for him. But looking at his like full length fights on regional promotions, like uh, he's short, and instead of being able to bounce effectively into range, use feints, uh, he just overreaches a lot on the feet. Uh, Southpaw just, I constantly saw him kind of reaching too much with his punches, throwing kicks that weren't there. Uh, he's a pretty good grappler once it gets on the ground, but he doesn't have a reliable way to get it there. And I think that spells uh, probably spells trouble against Carpenter. I, Carpenter is super green. He's kind of an unknown quantity himself, but just in being younger, being busier, having an actual decent sized flyweight, flyweight body and uh, and like well-rounded skills, I, I'm leaning towards Carpenter by decision here. Like there's no telling whether Ronderos has enormously improved himself in the last two years. I mean, he has been in Vegas most of that time. He's been at a good camp, but he certainly hasn't gotten any taller. Give me Clark Carpenter by decision here. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't do too much study on this one, but uh, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, Ron Doris did take the fight like 12 days notice. I mean, 12 hours notice. Yeah. It was like, they, they called him at like seven o'clock the night before. It was like, Hey, tomorrow morning, make way. Uh, he did beat Eric Shelton. So that that's a good thing. Uh, he he's a southpaw who who backs straight up. He, he lacks head movement. He what you know fights I've seen him. He throws really wild, uh, like just swings wildly. Wants to brawl. Uh, lots of kicks. Uh, he will wrestle as you mentioned, but I would definitely wouldn't categorize him as, 
as a wrestler. I'd say he's actually a weaker wrestler. He does have two submission wins, so that's good. But he, he was subbed with one arm in his last fight against David Devore. So that's, that's right. The, the one arm choke. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, Carpenter, only 26. High volume. I like his tight boxing. He cuts angles well. Changes stances in mid-combo, which you know I love. Uh, definitely a slip, slip and rip style kind of guy. He really springs into his shots, uh, which kind of adds to his power. Uh, high, Beautiful high kick knockout. I saw some hard calf kicks. He was rocked in the contender series, which you know doesn't make you feel good moving into this fight. He's a good wrestler. Uh, good top control. Looks to advance on the ground. Got some sub skills. Uh, he does have a knee bar submission on his record, so that's cool. Uh, I wish I got more time to to you know, watch the film of both these guys, especially Ronderos. But what I've seen, Carpenter looks much better than Ronderos. I see Carpenter wins more on the feet, adds in a few takedowns, and Carpenter wins the decision. Next up, we have a welterweight matchup between A.J. Fletcher and Temba Garimbo. Fletcher, the 25-year-old Louisiana native, is 9-2 overall. He is 0-2 since joining the UFC out of the 2021 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted last March, dropping a unanimous decision to Matthew Semmelsberger, came back last August at UFC 278, and lost to Angelusa, also by unanimous decision. So uh, coming off the first two losses of his career, he's going to look to get into the win, win column. He's stepping in against Garimbo here uh, in place of Connecticut's own Billy Goff. Garimbo, 32-year-old Zimbabwe native by way of South Africa, is 10-3 and overall. Uh, this will be his debut. He fought most recently last June at uh, Fury Fighting Championship, taking unanimous decision over Julio Rodriguez. Uh, despite Fletcher being 0-2 in the UFC and being the one stepping in on late notice, he's actually a comfortable favorite here. Uh, minus 240, Garimbo plus 200 on the comeback. Uh, I've got to say, I, I was a little surprised at the line here. Fletcher, I, pe I pinned him as a prospect to watch, seeing him fight in Louisiana all the way back in like 2019. He was 21 or 22 years old, was just already an absolute physical specimen, uh, good power wrestler who his stand-up at the time consisted mostly of just big wrestler overhand fastballs. But I figured, uh, you know, he's 22. He'll have plenty of time to develop. I expect to see this guy in the UFC in the next couple of years. Uh, I was right on one count. I did see him in the UFC in the next couple of years. I was wrong on the other count because his skill set is still basically the same. He's still a guy that, uh, I mean, he's an explosive athlete. He does put that to, to uh, good use in his offensive wrestling, but his striking repertoire is still pretty basic. Uh, I mean, he's added, obviously, flying knees and stuff. He'll throw out the occasional kick, but when stuff pops off, what he goes to is just big overhand rights. His gas tank has proven to be a bit suspect at the UFC level for people you can't just blow through in, in two or three minutes. I mean... Going against Grimbo, Grimbo's a tall, lanky grappler who doesn't have great offensive wrestling, and he has the bad habit of defending takedowns with a front headlock, which, I mean, it worked fine for him fighting in EFC in, in Africa. He, it's going to run him into problems at the UFC level. Like, that's just not, it, it doesn't work consistently on UFC level fighters. But if there's somebody in the UFC welterweight division that that's going to work on, a guy that's just going to shoot straight into a front headlock and get guillotined at the UFC level, it might be A.J. Fletcher. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Despite the fact that he's a two to one underdog here, I'm kind of leaning towards the newcomer Garimbo just as the guy that he has been in camp for a fight. Uh, always tough to to get a, a read on how elite someone's skills are when they're coming from a promotion like EFC, but. I think this guy is the truth, at least to the extent that he's going to be too much for AJ Fletcher. Uh, give me Garimbo by a late submission here. Just, I'm going to say he kind of pesters Fletcher tired into taking a bad shot in the third round, either guillotines him or takes his back and chokes him out. Yeah, this is uh, an intriguing fight. Kind of two really unknown guys. Uh, Fletcher, I mean, I know he's been in the UFC for a little bit, but um, he's only 25, so I think he can still improve. He He's a high-level athlete. Um, I mean, he's he's physically built. I mean, he's he's absolutely a ripped guy. Uh, I like that he can fight out of both stances, but he is a bit of a stationary target, standing right in front of his opponent, more like a Muay Thai style. Uh, he also has no reach. <laughs> they talked about this. Uh, the guy is like the shortest reach in the history of the division. Uh, he does use feint well. Uh, I'd say he has plus power, good volume, a bit of a pressure striker. He showed some controlled pace in that um, uh, fight against Losa, where he he wasn't uh, you know balls to the wall. He likes these like fun spinning attacks and flying knees like he did on the contender series, which um, not I don't think they're that great. Uh, he does make the mistake of backing up right on the center line. He also likes to roll with punches, which you know I don't like. Uh, I'd say he's an okay wrestler, but he's very physically strong, so he um, he can get you there. Uh, his his double leg is is pretty explosive. Uh, really good at it, dropping underneath his opponents when they when they open up for big shots. Uh, he's very physically strong. As you mentioned, he's like he's jacked and grab a leg and just send you for a ride. Um, he does struggle on bottom though, so if he gets stuck there, uh, you know, and he, and he takes if you take him down, uh, it's pretty easy. Like it, it's pretty easy to keep him there because he's not used to being on his back. Uh, he also gassed really bad uh, in his last. I think it was his last fight. But in fairness, it was in Salt Lake City, and a lot of guys were having a really hard time with that. Uh, Muo to Garimba, Grimbo. Uh, again, not a guy that can get too much film on him, being that um, you know he doesn't fight in the popular regional scene. Uh, he's 32 years old, so I don't like that. He is long and lengthy. His hands are pretty fast, though they're wild. Like he throws a lot, like fast strikes, but they're from wide angles. Uh, he, I saw one fight. He was just looked like he was just ducking and throwing and, and just like hoping and praying it lands. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks. He does want to get the fight to the ground. He has some fast entries, but he'll shoot from way too far away. If he gets on top, he's got some mean ground and pound. His control is pretty well, uh, but I've actually seen him stall a little bit on top too, so that that's um, an issue. He, he is a submission threat, as you mentioned. He has six subs on his record. I, I think this is two of the lower guys on the roster. Grimma has the reach advantage. should have a pretty good significant reach advantage, but – he doesn't fight like a guy that has reach advantage. I think Fletcher will actually have the advantage on the feet. Uh, but can he stop takedowns? Uh, I think he's going to. So I think he's actually going to find the chin of Grimmer. I'm going to say Fletcher knocks him out. Give me Fletcher by second round TKO. We head now to the lightweight division where Evan Elder will welcome Nazim Sadikov to the UFC. Elder, the 25-year-old disciple of Nick Diaz, is 7-1 overall. He's 0-1 in the UFC. He made his debut last April, uh, stepping up and taking on Preston Parsons at short notice, uh, on short notice at welterweight and dropping a unanimous decision. Uh, he comes back now, 10 months later, to take on Sadikov. The 28-year-old uh, 
New Yorker, Sarah Longo product, or sorry, Longo Weidman product, is 7-1 as well. He fought on the Contender Series last August, uh, thrashing Ahmad Hazanzada for two rounds before knocking him out uh, early in the third. That stamped his ticket to the Big Octagon, where he makes a debut and is a moderate favorite. Sadikov, minus 175. Elder, plus 150. Uh, Keith, tell me what you think of this matchup, who you think wins, and how. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an intriguing matchup. Um, pretty pretty evenly matched uh, between the two. Um, I'll start with um, <clears throat> Salikov. Uh, Salikov is a southpaw. Fights a lot of pressure. Kind of slip and rip style. Uh, I like his straight left. Uh, it's really nice. I like that he works the body. He's got some good power. He tosses an occasional spinning attack just to keep it exciting. Some really good kicks. Great kicks. Good wrestling, some hard ground and pound. Uh, the one time I seen him take him down, he got right back up, and he's got good cardio. Like he didn't slow down in the fights I seen him. Really uh, kept a strong pace. Uh, Elder, uh, you know he's he's his UFC debut, um, short notice debut. It was up at welterweight. Now he's back down to his his um, normal weight class. So I do feel a little bit better about that. He's a southpaw, uh, pressure striker, some good output. Uh, he does have some defense holes. The one he drops his hands, um, and he loads up a lot too. So he kind of he gives some tells. Uh, he also likes spinning attacks, which I want to be surprised. Get one of these moments where one guy spins and lands a uh, spinning back fist, and the other guy just like answers back with it. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks, some hard body kicks. He's a weak wrestler though, uh, offensively and especially defensively. He really struggled uh, with Preston Parsons, where Preston Parsons took him up and down over and over again, like like it was a Bo Nickel fight. So and he also got subbed, um, almost got subbed a bunch of times. Got mounted, got swept. So uh, I'm I'm not that high on Solikov, but I I do think I said it this evenly match, but I, I meant more like uh, the level they are. But I actually think this is a stylistically bad matchup for Elder. Uh, Elder showed me nothing in the def- defensive wrestling department, and Solikov is the better wrestler by far. So I think Solikov kind of wins a, a one sided dominant decision where he's getting a lot of takedowns. Yeah, I'm I'm with you here. I thought the uh, kind of the the main uh, clash of styles that this fight hinged on is the fact that Elder is not a great defensive wrestler. And on the contender series, I mean, Sadikov showed what people remember from that fight if they watched it is him just lamping Hassan Zada with a just huge one punch knockout in the third round, but he'd gotten there by largely dominating him with wrestling for the first two rounds. Like he, he took, uh, he took Hassan Zada down in the first round, pounded on him, bloodied him. I actually gave him a 10, eight round, uh, or I, I was about to give him a 10, eight round that round. Then he got taken down, uh, in the second escaped. Like it, it was his wrestling that really carried him to that victory. And, I see no reason why he wouldn't be able to do the same to Elder. Uh, give me uh, Sadikov here by, I'm, I'm going to say a third round TKO on the ground, actually. Uh, just his ability to get the fight to the ground, Elder's inability to get back up. I think he's going to take a lot of damage down there, and it's going to show by, by, the, uh, by the final round. Next up, the light heavyweights take the cage, we hope, as Open St. Prue takes on Felipe Lenz. St. Prue, the 39-year-old Tennessee native, is 26 and 16 overall. He is 14 and 11 in the UFC. He's 14 and 9 at light heavyweight. He did have a two-fight 
uh, stint at heavyweight that did not go well for him. So he moved back down to light heavyweight for his last appearance, which took place last May at UFC 274. He won a split decision over the ghost of Mauricio Shogun Hua. He's going to look to make it two wins in a row now against Linz. Uh, Linz, the 37-year-old Brazilian, uh, a fellow heavyweight slash light heavyweight tweener, is 15 and five overall. He is one and two since joining the UFC as the former PFL heavyweight champ. He won the heavyweight tournament the first season of P- PFL, so 2018, was gone all of 2019, joined the UFC, fought twice at heavyweight in 2020, losing to Andre Arlovsky and Tanner Bozer then took all of 2021 off and uh, came back last April at UFC Fight Night Lemos versus Andrade, where he won a unanimous decision over Martin Procneo, who actually appears further up this card. Odds? uh, I I don't know if they're surprising to you. Uh, I guess I'm just... I I don't know. Linz, minus 225. St. Prue, plus 190. I mean... Open St. Prue is what he is, and he's just becoming the older and, and horrible-to-watch version of it. But Felipe Linz is a disappointment by any way you want to slice it since leaving uh, PFL. I mean, he left PFL now four years ago, and he has three fights since then, and oh. he's one and two. So three fights in four years, he's one and two, and just hasn't looked inspiring at either weight. Yeah, he beat... Um, Martin Pracnio, but it was a just a grind and a slog of a fight, and it's almost a year since that fight. I mean, he he was a young heavyweight prospect, and now he's an old light heavyweight non-prospect. It's been a miserable couple of years for Felipe Linz, and he's a more than two to one favorite to get it done against Ovin St. Preux here. And I wish I knew what was making the betters so confident because most of St. Preux's tools and weapons have abandoned him at this point. At one point, he was a guy that had kind of an odd collection of quick knockout strikes and a very unique and opportunistic ground game and just didn't have a whole lot going in between those parts. So his fights would be weird and boring and miserable until like he popped off and did something crazy. That's largely abandoned him now. His fights are just all miserable to watch. His two losses at heavyweight were terrible. His fight with Shogun was terrible. His new superpower is just slowing down his fights and just making him kind of close and competitive. Andre Arlovsky style. Andre, very much Andre Arlovsky style. Yeah. I mean, the, the best thing you can say about him is, like, at least he and Shogun didn't hurt each other too bad. Because just about any other light heavyweight in the UFC <laughs> probably would have plunked Shogun that night. It's, it's like if, if, if they were, like, kids in the backyard and they're like, dude, those kids fight, fist fighting? And they're like, ah, they're just playing with each other. Don't worry. Yeah. They'll be fine. <laughs> It's just OSP and Shogun. Nobody's going to get hurt. Uh, And Felipe Linz, I mean, he just isn't that kind of fleet-footed boxer with snappy power that was an undersized heavyweight anymore. I I don't know what he does well, but uh, I'm leaning with another upset here. Lose. Give me open St. Prue to just kind of throw this fight in the mud, win two rounds out of three, almost certainly going to be a split decision, going to be one of those fights where the three judges don't agree on any single round. Uh, but yeah, give me St. Prue to win a, a miserable decision and us never to talk about it again. Yes. Let's just like decide now we're not going to talk about it on the recap show. <laughs> just skip it. They're on the, they're, they're both on the cut list. <laughs> yeah. Winner um, 
Yeah, OSP, I'm just done with him. Like, I, I, I think he's done. His athleticism has really faded. His output, as you mentioned, has is plummeted. His speed is gone. I mean, his fight against Shogun looked like it was in slow motion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he still has power, but that said, he was never the hardest hitter in his prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a counter striker. His best is probably that fade back left hand. Uh, he does throw some kicks. But he's taken so much damage. I mean, he was recently knocked up by Jamal Hill, which, you know, has aged well. But he also got knocked up by Tanner Bozer. Uh, as you mentioned, he has always had a really good ground game, underrated takedown game. Obviously, he has that Von Flu, a.k.a. the Von Pru choke, which is his specialty. Uh, but there's not much else jumping at me. Now, Linz, he's never been a good athlete. In fairness, he dropped down to 205. He looked a little bit better. Again, it was against Martin Marcin Procneo, so take that with what you will. Uh, he's a little flat-footed. He's never been fast. Uh, he's a patient striker. He doesn't really force things. He likes to counter-strike, but he counter-strikes with single shots. Uh, his strikes are pretty looping. He keeps his chin high in the air. Uh, Tanner Bozer roughed him up with leg kicks in their fight, and um, he just doesn't check them. He is a BJJ black belt, so I like that. But I'm worried about his chin. Like before his last fight, he got knocked out in back-to-back fights. Though I don't know if OSP is a guy that still could have the power to, to plunk him. So, uh, I I'm picking Lens. I I'm just not picking OSP anymore. I I you know what? I'm saying Lens knocks him out. Like why not? You remember when Lins, remember when Open Pru used to throw five or six head kicks a fight? Yeah. Maybe he's like really he that knockout against uh was it Corey Anderson? Yeah. <laughs> oh, imagine. Uh what round did you have, Linz? I'll take Linz by third round knockout. I don't know. That's just I'm just I'm just throwing shit up yeah, <laughs> that, that one. Next up on the UFC Vegas 69 prelims is a featherweight matchup between Jamal Emmers and the debuting Hussein Ashkabov. Emmers. The 33-year-old Californian is 18 and 6 overall. He is 1 and 2 in the UFC since joining as a veteran of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, but he was not signed off of that appearance as he actually lost to Julian Arosa that night. Uh, he kind of went on the road after that, won four fights in four different promotions, and was signed to the UFC in 2020, where uh, he debuted losing to Giga Chikadze, came back and beat Vince Cachero, then uh, got heel-hooked by Pat Sabatini in the first round at UFC Fight Night, uh, Barboza versus Chikadze. That was August of 2021, and that was the last time we saw Jamal Emmer. So it has been just a little over a year and a half since his last appearance. He comes back, looks to get back in the win column against Ashkabov, who wishes it had only been a year and a half since we'd seen uh, him fight. 27-year-old Chechen, uh, by way of Tiger Muay Thai, you know, the... Uh, Zabira Tukugov path. He's a perfect 23-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. This will be his UFC debut. He has not fought at all since March of 2020. To give you an idea of how long it's been since this guy has fought and why it's been this long, he was on a long win streak in WWFC, which is Ukraine's top promotion and has essentially ceased to exist in the last couple of years. Like, obviously, like, Ukraine is not in good shape. WWFC is gone. And that's why Ashkabov hasn't fought. They've tried to bring him to the state several times. Uh, they signed him to Dana White's Contender Series in 2021. He wasn't able to get a visa, probably because his 
country was a war zone. Then they said, okay, skip the contender series. We're just going to sign him directly to the UFC. He wasn't able to make that one either. So here, almost three full years since his last appearance, the 23-0 uh, Ashkabov finally gets his uh, UFC debut. And despite all the hardship, he is a slight favorite here. Ashkabov minus 140, Emmer's plus 120. I mean... Normally, when you have a 27-year-old, 23-0 fighter coming from Dagestan or Chechnya or Tajikistan, there's normally like some streamers and confetti coming out ahead of their UFC debut, but this is about as quiet as it gets, and I'm not sure it's going to go well for him. Because the other thing about Ashkabov is he didn't fight the best competition on the way in like wwfc even back before ukraine was a smoking crater was not the highest level promotion in that part of the world but more importantly ashkabov was a bantamweight and he wasn't a very big bantamweight jamal emers is going to look two weight classes bigger than this dude uh like emers is what he is i mean i i he, he's a teammate of bobby green and he feels to me kind of like poor man's Bobby Green in, in some ways. Like his ground game's underrated. His stand-up is solid, but kind of doesn't always use to his best advantage. But he is a big featherweight. Ashkabov is a a undersized, was an under not was he'll be a very undersized featherweight. Uh if Ashkabov can make his wrestling work on Emmers, uh, it turns into a whole different fight. But I think this is going to be a thing where if Ashkabov tries to strike with Emmers, he's probably going to lose rounds on the feet, just have trouble navigating the range, navigating the jab of Emmers. If he tries to take him down, he might be able to get him down, but I think he's going to get tired faster trying to do it. Uh, I'm always nervous taking, like picking Emmers to win a, a decision, but I'm taking him to, to win a decision here and uh, ruin the debut of Hussein Ashkabov. Give me Emmers by decision. <laughs> Look at you, Ben. Man, just going all off the straight, straight upsets all the way down the board. I'm gonna uh, look like a genius or a, yeah. a fool. Yeah, uh, Jamal Emmers, uh, well rounded guy, as you mentioned. He is a big guy, he does have some defensive holes, though. He backs straight up on the center line, which I don't like. Uh, but he's got some good volumes. His hands are pretty quick, accurate, nice jab. His straight right is, is a good blow, um, throws a lot of kicks. Uh, good hard kicks to the body. I like his step in knees. He uses his size well in the clinch. Uh, he likes a lock on blasts inside with knees. Good wrestler. Chain wrestles together. He had that slick head and arm triangle choke against uh, Rafael Barboza in, in the LFA, which is a good win. Uh, as well, he's got a lot of experience for a guy making his UFC debut. But, yeah, of course, that layoff is a, is a big concern. But, I mean, when you come in with 23 wins um, – you know, you've been in some situations. Throws a lot of hard hooks. Gets gets wild with it, though. Uh, he can overthrow, too. Uh, I'd say his plus power. Uh, he has six KOs. Again, moving up in weight. I wonder if that power is going to translate. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks, hard kicks, spinning attacks. He's a good wrestler, though. Nice nice blast double, some mean ground and pound. He has a submission threat. He's got 10 subs on his record. Uh, he will lose position to chase a submission, which I don't like. And if you put him on his back, uh, he struggles to get back up, and and you know Emers can wrestle, so it could go there. I think Emers is way better than his record suggests. I I think he's I think this is a much tougher fight, as you said, than most people would think. Um, that size—it's funny you said that. Um, it, it's something that does give me concern, but 
I still think Asparov is the they can chain wrestling. He's still a better pure wrestler. Uh, will and he might be able to catch a submission. I don't think he's gonna, but I'm gonna go with the favorite. I'll go with Asparov. I'll say he wins by decision. But uh, you made me feel less confident in my pick before uh, you started breaking this one down. We head now to the women's bantamweight division for a matchup between Lena Landsberg and Mayra Bueno Silva. Landsberg, the 40-year-old Swede, uh, formerly known as the Elbow Princess, uh, you know, with a couple of tragic deaths in the Elbow Royal family. She is now the Elbow Queen. She is 10-7 and seven overall. She is 4-6 and six since being brought to the UFC as a sacrificial lamb for the featherweight title reign of Chris Cyborg. She is on a three-fight losing streak over the past couple of years. Uh, that includes a unanimous decision loss to Sarah McMahon all the way back uh, three years ago. Then uh, two losses last year via unanimous decision to Penny Kianzad and majority decision to Carl Hosa. The most recent of those, the Hosa fight, was at UFC 280 last October. She comes here looking to not make it four in a row, almost certainly fighting for her job. You know, she may have it in the back of her mind as a retirement fight. Either way, I don't know what she's thinking. Uh, but standing in her way, either way, will be Mayra Bueno Silva. The 31-year-old Brazilian is 9-2-1 overall. She's 4-2-1 since joining the UFC as the very first fighter signed out of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Uh, she is on a two-fight winning streak, those being a unanimous decision win over Wu Yanan last April, and then a first-round armbar of Stephanie Egger at UFC on ESPN Santos versus Hill last August. You may remember that one as being somewhat controversial because of the did she tap, did she not tap. Either way, Silva dominated that fight for the whole 77 seconds it lasted perhaps reflecting their opposing trajectories and uh, winning and losing streaks. Bueno Silva is the biggest uh, uh, biggest favorite on the card. She's minus 380, Landsberg plus 310. Keith, I mean, Lena Landsberg at her best was never more than kind of a tough out that was a good test for other fighters. I mean, she's yeah. per- firmly been a gatekeeper to the top 10 or 15 at Bantamweight. Uh, But even that's kind of faded. But, I mean, she's still pretty physically strong and capable of taking care of herself in the clinch. I mean, she wasn't bullied there by Penny Kianzad or Carl Hosa, both of whom are fighters that like to bully people in the clinch. But I think just it being just another six months down the road, she's now... Uh, I mean, she turns 41 in a couple of weeks. And Mayra Bueno Silva just being another big, strong Bantamweight that's literally a decade younger than she is. And also, you know, just kind of a a bruiser. I think this is going to, you know, sloppy boxing gives way to a clinch exchange. Bueno Silva gets a takedown from the clinch. And Landsberg might survive the first round. She's still pretty good at surviving. She doesn't get finished often by people not named Chris Cyborg. But just Silva's going to have better cardio, be stronger, be able to take the fight to the ground when she wants. Give me Silva by second round submission here. Dude, I'm I'm sharp that you you made that pick because I mean you I figured mean, I was I, going. <laughs> well, I mean I'm going Lena Landsberg. I mean 40 year old out of the three fight losing streak. Like what's not to like in that? Um, <laughs> I mean Landsberg. She's always been a poor athlete. She's kind of slow. 
Uh, she does plot forward and throw some hard blows, but there a lot of single strikes, uh, throws leg kicks, but often then naked. She she strikes mainly to close the distance. Uh, she loves the like close quarters battle where she can dirty box, land those elbows that you know she's known for. Uh, she will drop down occasionally for a takedown, but she's a very bad defensive wrestler. She's been taking down eight out of her ten UFC fights. She struggles to get back up. Uh, I mean, go back to the Carol Hosa fight. There was large parts of the fight where she was just pinned against the canvas uh, with Carol Hosa. Now, Buena Silva, she also isn't a great athlete. Uh, she's definitely like a Muay Thai striker uh, that can fight out of both stances, but she likes to press the action. She keeps her boxing tight. She gets inside. She unloads uh, combinations. I'd say decent popping shots, though she does look for one big shot to kind of chase in that beautiful knockout. Uh, she likes to throw in some spinning attacks. A lot of teep kicks. I'd say she's strong in the pumpkin, but she's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, Marina, Marina Morose took her down like a bunch of times in that fight. Uh, she has a submission threat. I mean, she hit a beautiful arm bar from the bottom against Stephanie Aga, which I like. Uh, I'm going to go with the younger fighter, the one on the winning streak, the one that hits harder, the one that's more well-rounded. Uh, the person that's probably the biggest threat to find a finish in this fight too. So I'll go with Buena Silva. Again, as you mentioned, like Landsberg is tough. She can take a beat. And so I say Buena Silva wins by decision. Do you think Landsberg retires? No, she'll probably fight like Pearl Gonzalez and, and uh, bare knuckle boxing or something. I can't think of a worse person to transition from UFC to bare knuckle boxing than Lena Landsberg, <laughs> a forty-one-year-old who was not roster? a good striker. Like even when she was thirty-one, oh, that's that's She's attractive though. So that's why they'd want her to put her against another attractive. She, she wouldn't be after a couple of fights. The five-fight main card of UFC Fight Night 219 begins with a lightweight matchup between Jim Miller and Alexander Hernandez. Miller, the 39-year-old New Jersey native, is 35 and 16 with one no contest overall. He is 24 and 15 with one no contest in the UFC. And improbable as it sounds, the man is on a three-fight win streak. Those being a second-round knockout of Eric Gonzalez back in October of 2021, and then two wins last year, a second-round uh, TKO of Nicholas Mota in February and a second round submission of fellow legend Donald Cerrone at UFC 276 in July. Miller looking to make it four in a row, looking to get one step closer to his stated ambition of being the only fighter to fight at UFC 100, 200, and 300. <laughs> uh, had been scheduled to fight Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. Uh, Benitez fell off the card like almost two weeks ago, and it was Miller versus TBA for a while to the point that I assumed Miller was going to fall off the card. People were openly making fun of it during UFC broadcasts as they were still throwing Miller versus TBA up on, on the screen. But TBA apparently stands for Alexander Hernandez. The 30-year-old uh, San Antonio native, 13-6 and six overall. He is 5-5 five and five in the UFC. Uh, he's five and four at lightweight. His mixed results 
at uh, lightweight led him to try a one-off fight at featherweights, which he did last December at UFC 282. He dropped to 145, took on Billy Quarantillo. He made the weight. It did not help him as Quarantillo uh, put him away with strikes late in the second round. So he's back up at 155. He's taken on the guy that, you know, throws around the UFC record book, kind of like a hot potato with, you know, Cerrone and, and a few others. Despite the short notice, uh, despite one man being on a two-fight losing streak and the other being on a three-fight winning streak, Hernandez is a comfortable favorite here. He is minus 245, Miller plus 205. Keith, one of these guys I had a really good take on, and the other I had a bad take on and had to, to come back and revise my notes. I mean, you and I have been doing these previews long enough that we, we covered his uh, – loss to Vince Pichel as well as his loss to Joe Selecki. And at that point, I mean, we're talking about three years ago, almost three years ago, you know, my line was all Jim Miller has left now is opportunistic submissions and six or seven rounds of cardio. And he responded by knocking out back-to-back fighters. Yeah. The, I mean, the last time he had knocked someone out before Eric Gonzalez was Takanori Gomi. That's how long it was. <laughs> and then, you know, against Cerrone, a guy that's, similar in terms of age and where, but was a better fighter at the respective peaks. And I thought had more left in the tank. It turned out to be Miller that had more left in the tank. I've been burned by picking against Jim Miller too much. I had a good take on Alexander Hernandez. I said, drop him to 145 and taking on B- Billy Quarantillo, who is bet his best win was outlasting Spike Carlisle. Who's basically yeah. Alexander <laughs> Hernandez. Yeah. Redheaded Alexander Hernandez. Yeah. Like, like ginger Hernandez. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, is that racist? It's <laughs> <laughs> 1% of the world's population. Yeah, well, okay. including our boss, like Mike Fridley is, is, is okay. as redheaded as it comes, so I'm probably fired now. Uh, so In <laughs> breaking news, guess who's the newest uh, full-time <laughs> staff member? <laughs> oh, man. Here's the thing. I like Hernandez. I was, I was drawn in and wowed by his athletic potential early in his career, but he's 30 now and he's a guy that just might not turn a corner. I mean, he's, he's done all the right things. He relocated his uh, training. He went to factory X, which is a very, uh, you know, a very good team. And he's still the same fighter he was when he was 25. Uh, He is an incredibly explosive athlete who has, wrestling that's effective not because of technical but because he's fast and strong uh i mean a little bit like aj fletcher that we just talked about um i mean yeah similar to that uh, hits with a ton of power i mean he, he's still in the ufc right now because he lamped benil Darius in his ufc debut and yeah. he's gonna have that highlight on his reel forever but i mean he's still wild he still has a ton of holes defensively striking for a guy who's a pretty good offensive wrestler he's not a great defensive wrestler and uh, his gas tank is suspect to 155 or 145. Yeah, I mean, he can hang on for three rounds if he's fighting a miserably slow-paced fight like the Trinaldo fight, but otherwise, yeah. he gets tired faster. I swear I'm not trying to be contrarian here, but I think I'm about to pick my third or fourth two-to-one underdog. Just... Yeah, do it. I, I, I mean, Jim Miller stri- all of a sudden strikes with surprising power. Hernandez yeah. does... Come in with hands down, chin in the air. Miller can touch his chin. Uh, 
I don't see I don't see the safe place for Hernandez here. I mean, if he comes out and just plunks Miller with an overhand right or a flying knee or something, it's over and you know, so so long, Jim Miller win streak. But I could see Miller tapping this guy out in the second round when they're both a little tired. But yeah, Hernandez re, re, Hernandez responds to being tired by getting sloppy and like overshooting bad takedowns. Or I could see Miller even just touching him in the first. Uh, this could go to decision. I hope it doesn't because there's already too many guaranteed miserable <laughs> fights on this card. So out of wishful thinking, it's not wishful thinking that I'm picking Miller to win, but it's wishful thinking that he gets it done by second round submission. Give me Miller by second round sub. Wow. Fantastic. I love the pick. Um, I'll say this. I, I wasn't prepared to do this fight. I don't know how I missed this fight. I, I don't know. Maybe it was because I, maybe when I've, was right down the fights. It was, might have been still the TBA or something. I, I don't know. Um, one thing is, if Jim Miller's on this winning streak, and it's Jim Miller. Like, why not give him the co-main event? Just I feel like on this card, was Jordan Wright versus Zach Palga like just the people demanded? Yeah, yeah the, the the masses. Um, yeah, just give Jim Miller the the, the co-main event. Or how about this? Uh, Alexander Hernandez is stepping up to fight him. Why not just pull Jim Miller from the card and have him fight Alexander Hernandez a month from now in San Antonio where the guy's from? Okay. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be down for that. Jim Miller is not the guy he's going to turn on a fight. So, uh, I mean, maybe he had, he really had a strict, like, I want to fight. Maybe this, you know, the time frame, maybe he's going on vacation. Who knows? I mean, Miller's big. Uh, he's a big hunter and fisher. I don't know what the seasons are in New Jersey. You maybe know? It, yeah. But, yeah but it's, I don't know, man. Just. Dude, that uh, San Antonio card, I'm not even going to it. Okay. Like, I'm going to uh, – I mean, normally that's one that I go out and cover in person, but I'm going to be in uh, Georgia for my youngest daughter's, like, sorority cocktail night. She's, like, a freshman at University of Georgia. Uh, that sounds fantastic, dude. Sorority cocktail night in University of Georgia. I can't, can I get an invite to that? That's all yeah. fantastic. <laughs> dude, come on down because like her mom and stepdad are Mormon, so somebody's got to help me drink these cocktails. Like, come on down, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why is she having a sorority cocktail and she's inviting her dad? It's for parents. It's like a like sorority parent. Like come yeah, sorority sorority girls has changed since I was well, in the college. I would rather I guess, apparently. I would rather like have a cocktail in her presence than just be here and worry that she's doing like keg stands when I'm not there. So I, I yeah. Yeah. Hanging out with, with the cocaine guy from the prelims. <laughs> Juan Camilo Ronderos. I see you get, get the fuck away from my daughter. Uh, yeah. I did the research though. Uh, yeah. You got me thinking about Jim Miller, but uh, screw it. I'll go the other way just to make it interesting. Uh, I'll take Hernandez. I'll see he wins my first round. I'm not, I don't have a note, so I'm not going to just ramble. And I probably could ramble at least on uh, Jim Miller without any notes. But yeah, yeah give me Hernandez. I'll say, I say, so uh, he turns back the clocks and knocks out. Well, not turns back his clocks, not yeah. not Jim Miller's. But honestly, if Hernandez does win, it probably is just a big one shot knockout, and Miller's chin, you yeah. know, crumbles to dust. Yeah. The UFC Fight Night 219 main card powers on, if we can even use that term, with what is scheduled as a light heavyweight bout between William Knight and Marcin Pracnio. Knight, the 34-year-old Connecticut native, is 11-4 overall. He is 3-3 since joining the UFC. He's 3-1 at light heavyweight, however. Uh, He went 3-1 in his first four fights in the UFC uh, since joining out of uh, the contender series in 2020 
won three of four and became, if not a contender, at least a curiosity just because of the visual image he cuts. Yeah, I'm glad you said not a contender. I don't know if William Knight was ever viewed as a contender. No, no, but but he's a guy that, I mean, it's kind of like a circus sideshow. If he's on a, on a card, you're like, whoa, that guy, all right. Cool. Yeah, like, I can see William Knight as like a circus sideshow. I can see him like ripping like a phone book. Yeah, bending the steel bar, to, like wearing like yeah. this leopard yeah. singlet like thing. Next to like the bearded woman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but then last year was not a great year for him. He stepped in on short notice at UFC 271 to fight Maxime Grishin. He set a record by missing the light heavyweight uh, limit by 12 pounds. I mean, he came in at 218 and him. responded to that. And he lost the fight, then came back in April, took on fellow light heavyweight Devin Clark in a fight that they just agreed. Let's just make it a heavyweight. Clark came in at 223 pounds, basically like a light heavyweight that didn't do the water cut. And Knight came in at 251 pounds for that <laughs> <Jesus> fight. Christ. <laughs> Uh, once again, it didn't help him as Clark put him away in the third round, uh, you know, just, uh, busted him up. He's going to try to make it not three in a row against Procneo. And we'll talk about the fact that this fight is back down at two Oh five, uh, in a moment, but, uh, here comes Procneo, the 34 year old pole by way of the Netherlands is 15 and six overall. He is two and four since joining the UFC out of one championship where he came close to fighting for a title, but uh, got injured and uh, left the promotion during his recovery. He lost his last time out. It was uh, actually to Linz. He uh, dropped a unanimous decision to him back in April. Prior to that, he had won back-to-back -back fights in 2021 against uh, Khalil Roundtree and Ike Villanueva. That got him back on track after dropping his first three fights in the UFC against Sam Alvey, Magomed Ankalaev, and Mike Rodriguez. So this fight, close to a pick -em, as close to a pick -em as we have on the card. Procneo minus 115, Knight minus 105. But there are a couple of books where they are literally just both uh, even money, like both minus 110. And Keith, my first question is, do you think William Knight makes 206? Um, I mean, you don't really want me to break down this fight. I mean, it's not happening. This fight's not even happening. Okay, so... William, William Knight's going to weigh in at 235 pounds for this fight. Okay, so you're thinking he misses by enough that this fight actually gets... I, I don't think... I think this fight's not going to happen. I really do. I think it's not going to happen. All right. All right, next, next fight. No. Okay. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I don't think he's going to make weight. I would... Uh, um, William Knight is in I've seen him in person. I like the guy. He's like fun. He's like a life of the party kind of guy. Like he, he comes by press row when he's not fighting, shakes everyone's hands. Uh he's like a very bubbly kind of guy. Like um but yeah, the guy weighed 250 pounds his last fight, and he's he's not this big fat guy. Like he's ripped he's muscular he's this great athlete he i i wrote this in my notes and i refuse to take it out i saw him fight jorgen de castro as amateurs and in between rounds he was doing backflips i'm not lying he was doing backflips <laughs> and breakdancing uh the guy's got muscle on muscle he's he's a balance between raw power and athleticism if if william knight was six inches taller he'd be in the nfl he'd be a he'd be bob sap yeah, I'd be happy like, if he bumps up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
His striking technique needs a lot of improvement. He's kind of slow. He loads up. He telegraphs. He pulls his head straight back. Uh, due to being short in the division, especially at, you know when he goes to heavyweight, it's even worse. But uh, he struggles to get inside. He really struggled to get inside on Maxine Grisham. But he's got huge power. I mean, he showed that against Fabio Chirant. He's got some thudding leg kicks. Uh, though he often throws them naked and leaves open to counters. Uh, he will battle in the clinch. Um, his small, like, his shorter height kind of gives him a position to use his head in there. Uh, he can get some takedowns, uh, some trips, some throws. Um, he hit something against uh, Alexa Kamer. Got mean ground around. I've said this before. If he's on top, it's like it's like it's got to be up there with like Derek Lewis with the scariest things. Uh, but he he struggles with defense wrestling. He's been taken out eight times by Dung Ong Jung in their fight. Uh, he to his credit, he he's hard to control. He does well to get back up. Uh, he isn't a submission threat at all. Um, he has tons of heart though. He he always finds a way. Actually, always, but oftentimes in a fight where it's it's. Looks like he's starting to lose it. He gets the second win, and he finds a way to the battle back. Uh, he's also he, he he might be one of these guys who just looks exhausted and still effective. You know what I mean? Like very like a Derek Lewis type, where he's taking big breaths, but he can still continue to fight hard. Uh, Prakneo, karate guy, uh, not a good athlete, kind of slow. His boxing and surf soul at best, kind of just swings, uh, and and doesn't have a lot of output. He, I I do like his his light kicks though. Uh, he stopped Ike Villanueva with a body kick, which is nice. But he drops his hands when throwing, uh, which could get him knocked out. Uh, he will battle in the clinch and grind a little bit, though he's a terrible defense wrestler. He was taken down four times by Felipe Lentz, who's not really known for his ground game. And his chin is questionable. He was knocked out in three straight fights by Sam Malvey, Magomed Ekaliyev, and Mike Rodriguez. Now, of course, the Ekaliyev, you know, lost since then. It's sure. aged really well. But uh, I absolutely hate this fight. I think both guys are. I don't want to say terrible because that just sounds. I'm gonna just be the dick, but like they're not good. Uh, Practio is the more polished striker. I could see him easily just outpointing Knight from range, especially if Knight starts slowing down. However, Knight has the power, and he is of the two. He's a surprisingly better wrestler. Something crazy. If this fight happens, something crazy is gonna happen. Like I could see William Knight. Um, illegally headbutting him or something and like i almost want to just go with a draw um <laughs> you know what this fucking card i'll go with it give me a draw there we go i <laughs> dude we've previewed seven fights on this card so far and we've only agreed on three of them we've agreed on fewer than 50 percent of the wait, cards wait how no. you're not gonna like build up your pick you're not taking a draw I'm, right. I'm, I'm if you tempted. Me, if, as I said, if you make me pick a winner, I'll pick a winner. Right. No, I, you don't have to pick a winner. No, I'll go. I'll pick a winner. Give me night. I'm gonna go with night. I don't know why I'm doing this. Give me night. I'll say he knocks him out. Um, second right. round, ground and pound. There you go. All right. So we are uh, 50 50 then on agreeing on fights in this card because uh, I'm I'm with you here. Like, I don't want to say they're both terrible, but in most other divisions in the UFC, two guys like this flawed would just not be hanging around roster as long as these guys have. I, it w- I think would be the the best way to put it. Like yeah. th- the, the least talented guy, the least talented guy at flyweight is way more talented than these guys. Yes, yeah, like here, heavyweight, light heavyweight, and 
like women's featherweight such as it is is the only place where fighters like this have staying power Procneo just he should be a lot better than he is he's like this tall pretty like strong guy from central europe who like has a karate background and to the point that he like went and he's trained out of the netherlands for like his entire career you would expect him to be the poor man's yuri prohaska and he's not even the homeless man's yuri prohaska like he's <laughs> he managed to take like kyokushin karate black belt and 15 years of training like with Dutch kickboxers and just become kind of, kind of a sloppy low volume brawler. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Um, yeah. You watch the, you watch Cobra Kai. I, I watched the, all the first season. Oh, okay. I was trying to think of the fat guy in Cobra Kai. There's like a, a bunch of teenagers fight. And there's like one guy who's like 40 years old. <laughs> that's, that's probably He's a 40 year old. He's, he's, he's that, he's that guy. I can't, he has a funny nickname. I can't think of it. Um, it's so funny. He's actually one of my very best friends. Is friends with him, the actor. Oh, he okay. Actually sent, he actually sent my, uh, my literally my very best friend a like a uh, cameo saying, "Hey, happy birthday" and whatever. From, oh, that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, I gotta look up his nickname while you're looking. At oh, in other news, uh, you know that's like definitely more important than UFC Fight Night Two Nineteen. Uh, my wife and I are gonna start watching The Wire. Like the easiest way to get me watch to watch a show is if so, like it's something yeah. that my wife can sit down a couple hours a, a, a it's night. Good. It's really good. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna watch fifth it. season. The fifth season's uh, but it's real. It's one of those ones that gets better every single time you watch it. There's more details that you didn't pick up on the first time. It's so freaking good. And I'm coming into it completely cold. I know the names of a couple of the you know characters. I know kind of the quotes that have become big memes, but I'll I'll kind of let you know how it goes. Yeah. I'm excited. Anyway, this fight, if not for the fact that Knight weighed in at 251 pounds for his last fight, I'd feel even more comfortable picking him. But, dude, if he makes weight... Or <laughs> dude, if you, should even, never, you should never feel comfortable picking William Knight, but, no, matter, no matter how what he weighed in. If he's even close enough to, to weight that the fight goes on, like say he comes in at like 211 or something, I'm going to be worried about his gas tank. Uh but yeah, I, I'm with you here. You know, it's going to be a sloppy brawl. Give me night to find something before they both get too tired. Uh, if this fight goes to the third round, it's it's been a bad fight. But uh, give me night by first round knockout here. Yeah, they should. That should be the next season of the Ultimate Fighter. Just get a bunch of guys who miss weight, and just throw them in the house and get, like stock the stock the like fridge up with with like ice cream and and goodies, and then uh, try to get them to make weight. So instead of like the drunken like bash ups that we have every season, it's just a bunch yeah. of dudes sitting around just eating ice cream. And <laughs> you know, I don't know. No, have have you know whatever? What is it? Sixteen guys find fifteen guys that always make weight, and then find like the most disciplined guy ever, <laughs> the most hardcore guy ever, and throw him in there. That would be incredible. Next up on the UFC Vegas sixty nine main card is what the UFC would have us believe is the only heavyweight bout of the night that will remain to be seen. It is Josh Parisian versus Jamal Pogues. Parisian, the 33-year-old Michigan native, is 15-5 and five overall. He is 2-2 two and two since coming to the UFC as a two-time veteran of Dana White's Contender Series. He appeared all the way back on the second season, putting away New England's own, Rhode Island's own, Greg Ribello with a spinning back fist. Uh, 
that wasn't good enough to get him signed because yeah. back then not everybody who won got signed. He came back on the 2020 season, knocked out Chad Johnson in the first round. That got him to the UFC where he has alternated losses and wins ever since, losing to Parker Porter, defeating Roque Martinez, losing to Dante Mays, and defeating Alan Bodeau. The most recent of those, the Bodeau fight, was last June at UFC on ESPN, Sarukin versus Gamrot. Uh, second round knockout for Parisian. He will look to make it two in a row against Pogues, who will be making his debut. The 27-year-old uh, Californian is 9-3 and three overall. He is also a two-time uh, Contender Series veteran. He appeared all the way back on Season 3, where he took a unanimous decision over Marcos Brigagom. That wasn't good enough to get him signed. Uh, he had a couple fights in LFA, came back on the 2022 season and took a unanimous decision over Paulo Henato Jr. Apparently it takes two wins over uh, Brazilians on the contender series to get you to the UFC. Having uh, stamped his little sandwich card, he now makes his debut and he is a comfortable favorite. Pogues minus 225, Parisian plus 190. <sighs> Keith? I'm surprised by that line. I, I mean... He shouldn't be a negative two twenty five favorite against anybody, and that's saying something because Parisian, dude, I like Parisian, and he's been. No, you, don't. Kind of, you don't like Parisian? No, dude. I I actually think Parisian is awesome for non fight related reasons. Oh, okay. But the, the The story is yeah, bad enough that I don't know if I can even tell it on the show. Yeah, this episode, go for it. Yeah, I'll tell it. All right. Uh, you know, I I'm friends with a, a lot of kind of local fighters and trainers down here in uh, Houston and, and in Texas. And so I end up in Facebook conversations that, uh, you know, pull different people in. And Jeremy Mayen, the head coach of War MMA, you know, co-founder of Four Ounce Fight Club, an OG organization down here. But he's coach of people like, you know, Trevin Giles. He's also kind of into the, like, Joe Rogan, like, space, third eye you know, altered reality type stuff, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and he posted a link to this article talking about how there could be alternate timelines with like alternate humans living on other planets in the galaxy. Just, you know, that kind of acid trip science shit. And people are saying, oh, that's nonsense or that's garbage. Or people are like, yeah, I think that's really true. I took mushrooms last night. And anyway, Josh Parisian pops in and says, what's, what's, you- hold on. what's harder to believe that or that the, that was the right call of the Super Bowl? <laughs> Oh, there's no planet with any <laughs> okay. humans on it where that was the right call. Yeah, all right, but okay, out of right. nowhere, Josh Parisian drops in and says, "Do you think the humans on other planets eat ass too?" <laughs> okay, that's so, that's so. Right. I, I'm a fan. All right. Anyway, uh, right. but a, a Parisian are eating ass. What was it? <laughs> all of the above. All right. Yeah. Um, I have to put like a uh, mature audience only on this one. Yeah, like it'll be the one episode where I, I actually check that box. Um, <clears throat> Having said that, on paper, by accomplishments, he might be the lowest level uh, heavyweight in the UFC right now. You know, like barely beating Roque Martinez is not a good look. Alan Badeau, I mean, it's Alan Badeau's choice Alan whether he Bodeau. wants to be. Badeau's terrible. Like, um, yeah. if if Pogues is even the real thing on the level of like a Chase Sherman or Parker Porter he beats Parisian. I just don't know if he does. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Travis Brown hasn't fought in MMA in like seven years or eight years. He was never that good. He's 
looks really out of shape. Who would you pick it to win right now if they fought each other? Travis Brown or Alan Bodo? Travis Brown. If he can make 265, he beats Alan Bodo all day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's probably like 320 pounds right now because yeah. he's huge. He's like six foot seven. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he, right, he's Pat, Pat, he, Pat Berry. Pat Berry. Uh, Pat Berry hasn't fallen in like 10 years. Oh, Pat Berry leg kick take TKO late in the first round. Dude, I, I saw Pat yeah. Berry on TV on Saturday. He he yeah. looks like he's still in pretty yeah, good shape. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And you know he's at least kicking the bag and the pads like on the regular because he, he's doing tons of coaching. So yeah. All right, carry on. <laughs> Come back, Pat Berry. We missed you. Uh, I I I I I'm tossing this one to you for for uh, <laughs> no, okay. don't do that. Okay. Um okay, uh Oh. Jessica Andrade versus no okay um Josh Parisian uh Mr. Ass Man Josh Parisian um he's a really he's like the definition of lumbering heavyweight mm-hmm. uh, hand speed just like he's talking about uh does other realms exist like his hand speed doesn't exist uh, I, he 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 does have a busy jab he throws a lot of jab he's he's got some high volume for heavyweight. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he loves spinning attacks. He knocked out Greg Rubello or something. But he stands up really tall, his, his chin high in the air. Uh, he pulls his head straight back. Uh, I mean, we joked about Alamodo. Alamodo is cracking him. Uh, he's not a good wrestler. He was out-wrestled by Parker Porter and Dontel Mays. Uh, Mays was passing his guard, which doesn't look good. If he lands on top in like a weird scramble, uh, big heavyweight wrestling, he is big, so he'll be hard to hold down. But I mean, he gassed out against Parker Porter. He was absolutely gassed against Alan Bordeaux. Uh Yeah, uh, Jamal Pogues. He's plotting. Uh, he's got some quick hands, but it's like you go back to his contender fight. It was all single strikes. Uh, he's got a long jab, straight punches on the pipe. Not much power for heavyweight though. So he lacks punching power. He's got some fast, uh, you know, fast kick, especially a high kick. But defensively, he keeps his chin high in the air. He doesn't check leg kicks. He's get, he was getting his legs kicked out against him on the contender series. He can wrestle. I do think that on the contender series, they were like they were talking about. His, um, they were overdoing his his you know wrestling chops. Like uh, they, they made it sound like the heavy, like Kyle Snyder was out there, you know, heavyweight wrestler for right? <laughs> Jamal Pogues. Um, he has one submission win, but he does have two submission losses. Uh, I hate this matchup. I think both guys are really. Uh, poor. Parisian has a size manager, but like Pogues is not a big heavyweight. But no, Pogues is, dude, can got, I interject real quick? I should have mentioned this on a card full of tweeners, but most of Pogues' career took place at light heavyweight. Like his two yeah. submission losses are both the light heavyweights. Like who, Alex Polizzi and Jordan Young were both light heavyweights. Who 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 weighs more? Uh, yeah, the way is <laughs> Pogues or, or William Knight? <laughs> I think it because. And, and that's the other thing. Like, Pogue's first appearance on the Contender Series was at light heavyweight. He came in for his most recent appearance on the Contender Series. He was like 239 or something. Yeah. Dude, it might yeah. be close. Yeah, Parisian's going to be, like, right at the limit. Yeah. Um, that said, I think Pogue's is faster. He might get a takedown every once in a while. Uh, give me Pogue's in a really terrible matchup. I'll say Pogue's in a t- terrible decision. All right, I'm I'm gonna lean the other way here. Uh, you know, I don't think we get a knockout on the feet. 
But in one of these collisions, I'm saying, you know, Parisian ends up on top and just pounds him out with like big man, like floppy hammer fist, ground and pound. Give me Parisian by uh, second round TKO. The co-main event of UFC Fight Night 219 continues the theme of light heavyweights uh, switching back and forth at heavyweight, whether voluntarily or not. It is Jordan Wright versus Zach Pauga. Wright, the 31-year-old Southern California native, is 12-4 and with one no contest overall. He is 2-3 and since joining the UFC as a veteran of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. He appeared on the Contender Series back in 2018, got knocked out in 40 seconds by Anthony Hernandez for his first career loss, but that was later overturned when Hernandez tested positive for marijuana. So he debuted in the UFC in 2020, technically undefeated, but has had mixed results since then. Uh, he got things started off with a win over Ike Villanueva, but since then uh, has lost more than he's won. He's currently on a three-fight losing streak, all by stoppage, uh, those being a knockout loss to Bruno Silva, a first-round submission loss to Marc-Andre Berrio, and most recently, last October, a second-round TKO loss to Dusko Todorovic. That took place at UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Araujo. Wright is going to look to right the ship and possibly preserve his job against Palga, a man still looking for his first UFC win. The 34-year-old fighting out of Colorado is 5-1 overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC as a heavyweight finalist of the 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, had a pretty good first round against Muhammad Usman before getting his lights put out by a single punch just 36 seconds into the second round. So the heavyweight runner-up now returns to light heavyweight where he actually spent the bulk of his career uh, before The Ultimate Fighter. He is a comfortable favorite here. Pauga, minus 280, right, plus 235. Uh, Keith, who you got in this one? I mean, it's it's not a great sign when our co-main event has a guy who's on a three-fight losing streak <laughs> against someone who is 0-1 in the UFC, you know, dropping down in weight for the first time in, you know, in his UFC run. This is yeah. as rough as it gets, man. I, this is not a good card, but when you like, who's in charge of the placement on the card? Like when you look at it, all these things on the card, this is the one you go with. Man, this should be the comment event. Like, not a Jim Miller who's, you know, a legend in the sport, not a guy like OSP who's, you know, been in some big marquee fights, not, you know, guys actually coming off wins. No, let's go with this one. I mean, it's to, um, I know I'm, <laughs> like I said, I'm unprepared and hey, I definitely feel like we I'm. Got, we got two two former UFC title challengers on this card. We've got Lena Landsberg and Ovin St. Pru, and they're not even on the main card. There you go. So I know I'm, I'm and, you know, we will be honest, we'll bash the card. I'm, I'm, I'm overdoing it. I'm trying to, like, I don't know, I'm doing my best Jeff Sherwood impersonation. <laughs> We're just uh, unprepared and just throwing off nonsense. Um, Jordan Wright, he's big for the weight class. He has this karate style, but he's he's never a good athlete to back it up. Like you, you still need a Stephen Thompson athleticism to make it really work. Mm -hmm. uh, his hands are slow. 
Uh, he keeps his hands low. He does have power. I mean, knocked out Jamie Pickett. He knocked out Ike Villanueva. He'll throw some spinning attacks, but he's got huge defensive holes. One, his chin is high in the air. He backs straight up. He's been knocked out on several occasions. Bruno Silva, uh, Anthony Hernandez, Joaquin Buckley, Dusko Chodorovic. Uh, they all knocked him out. Now, he he can – actually, I think the best part of his game is just like wrestling. He can clinch a little bit and grind in there. Uh, he, he'll wrestle more than you think. He showed some skills against Dusko Todorovic on the ground. He has five submission wins, uh, though he was submitted by Mark Andre Barrio, which which hasn't aged well. Uh, he's got some strong ground and pound, uh, but a big concern to me was his last fight. He really gassed out against Todorovic, which um, isn't good. Um, Zach Puaga, and, and I apologize if I'm saying his, his name wrong. Uh, he's a minus athlete, but he he does pressure well. He's a, let, he's a, let me interject one thing here. Uh, it's worth mentioning that Wright's last uh, couple of fights were 185. So he's actually coming up to 205 while Paga is going down there. Do you think that'll make a difference with his gas? I do. I think it's better for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's better to, to – well, it depends. I mean, if he's if he's just eating, you know, some more steaks and, and – drinking more water into that. Yeah, sure. If he's hanging out William Knight and he's, <laughs> you know, uh, like going to the buffet and stuff. No, but uh, yeah, I definitely think it's good. I think it's good for his power. I think it's, um, and I think it's definitely good for his, his cardio. Now, Puaga, he, he's got some good vision. Uh, he appears to see a lot what's coming at him. He uses feints well to set up his shots. Uh, t- type of your hold your ground striker where he's not going to back up when, when, you crashing on him, he's going to kind of try to beat you to the punch. I'd say his volume is pretty good. Busy jab. He attacks with combos. Uh, he has this, like, winging overhand right, which is, is his best strike. Um, he he also has this, like, short left hook. He caught Jordan Heidemann uh, with it. It was, it was a good blow. I, I like that he works the body. He will throw out some spinning attacks, so I'm not crazy about. But I'd say for, like, he has plus power. Again, like, does that get zapped out going down and wait? I don't know. Uh, but overall, his power is pretty good. He's weak at weak defensive wrestle, which could be surprisingly be an issue against a guy like Jordan Wright, which, um, again, I think he's a slightly underrated wrestler. But he's got a good get-up game. But you have to worry about two things after his last fight. He was knocked out cold by uh, Muhammad Usman. So you got to wonder, um, one, will his chin hold up? And two, will he be gun-shy? Will he not use that pressure that's um, been a big part of his game? Wright could wrestle his way to a victory. And again, as you said, uh, 15, you know, fifteen minutes up a weight class. I, I like his cardio better there, but it, you know, I'm still not trusting it. Um, I think Pagago works him on the feet. I think he stays busier. I think his volume and power advantage uh, is something to, you know, lean me that way. I think he presses it the action. I think eventually he outpaces right and he crumbles him with something. I'm gonna say Pagago gets a late stoppage. Give me Pagago by third round TKO. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that the line is as wide as it is here, but I just I don't have any faith in Wright after these three losses. He's lost these fights just about every way you can picture. I mean, against Bruno Silva, he just got beat to the punch by a guy who was faster and had more power and got plunked. Against Barrio, he made a mistake and got tapped out. And then against Todorovic, as you mentioned, uh, it was a fairly competitive fight, but he gassed out fast. And uh, and got put away. Just that every way you can possibly lose a fight, he manages. He's managed to do it in his last couple of fights. 
it's a whole different ball game if Palga has a miserable weight cut and like misses weight or comes in like looking absolutely horrible. But again, this is him going back to 205 after just a brief hiccup at heavyweight. And it's not like he let himself go. Like it's not, he wasn't a sloppy mess against Usman or in his fights on the show. So yeah, give me Palga. I'm going to take him by decision here. Wright might have some success early on, but I think Palga will be the fresher guy late and he'll probably be throwing more volume from the start. So yeah, he wins two rounds out of three at least and, and walks away with the decision here. That brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 219, a women's flyweight matchup between Jessica Andrade and Aaron Blanchfield. Andrade, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 24-9 and overall. She is 15-7 and in the UFC. She is, of course, the former UFC strawweight champ. But uh, relevant to this fight, she is 4-1 and at flyweight. Uh, her only loss at flyweight came in her unsuccessful bid to win the title there against reigning queen Valentina Shevchenko. Aside from that, all of her fights at 125 pounds have been brutal. Uh, she has stoppages of Caitlin Chikagian, Cynthia Calvillo, and Amanda Lemos, and a uh, one-sided decision win over Lauren Murphy. Andrade is on a three-fight win streak. She beat Murphy just uh, four weeks ago at UFC 283. Tyler Santos was originally set to take on Blanchfield here. Santos fell out of this fight. Andrade steps in on just a week's notice. Uh, she had proclaimed after the, the Murphy win that she wanted to move back down to strawweight and challenge for the title there, but she apparently could not pass up this opportunity, so she appears at flyweight once more. Standing in her way is one of the brightest prospects in all of the women's divisions, Blanchfield, the 23-year-old New Jersey native, is 10-1 and overall. Uh, Keith will tell you that she should be 11-0, but she is officially 10-1. and She is on a seven-fight win streak, uh, the last four of those since joining the UFC. Uh, since joining the UFC in late 2021, she has unanimous decision win over Sarah Alpar, uh, another decision win over Miranda Maverick, a second-round submission of J.J. Aldrich, and most recently... At UFC 281 last November, a first-round submission of Molly McCann. She will look to make it five straight, possibly certify herself no longer a prospect but a contender and maybe the next uh, challenger for Shevchenko's title. But uh, she is a slight underdog in that pursuit. Andrade right now, minus 175. Blanchfield, plus 150. Uh, Keith, of the of the women in the 125 pound division that are kind of that class of rising prospects, Blanchfield, Miranda Maverick, Macy Barber, uh, Casey O'Neill. I mean, you and I have been high on them since before they joined the UFC in in every case, but you in particular have been on the Blanchfield train since the beginning. Uh, yeah, she's great. Like, and every time we've talked about her, you've said future champ or at least, yeah, you know, future multiple time uh, title contender. So my only question for you is, is now, is this fight too much too soon or yeah. is this the level up moment? That's a big question. Ben, let's, let's do something. Cause we, we, you know, we're not going as long as we normally do. Let's give uh we could talk for an hour and a half about this fight <laughs> and it would be average. Length. Than most. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
What what what's your biggest fear in life? Like what, what's like what's it, what's what's a fear of yours? Like fear? Afraid, afraid of snakes, afraid of heights. Like what's definitely not into spiders and like like nasty insects in general. They they okay. creep me the hell out. Like yeah. existential fears. I don't want to die by drowning. I'd prefer yeah, that, that not terrible. happen. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think my scariest thing is having to fight Jessica Andrade on like a one, <laughs> one week one week notice. I mean, I, I was sitting there thinking about this, and I'm like, maybe it's a good thing for Blanchfield that the fight is on one week's notice. And now she's like, she only has one week to think of what Jessica Andrade is going to do to her instead of like a full camp of thinking about what Jessica Andrade is going to do to her. Uh, is it too much? It is a huge and and again now. Talia Santos was a big step up in competition too. From from Molly Ken to Talia Santos, who arguably in a lot of people's scorecards, mine included, thought she beat Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. Um, I don't I but it still feels different than facing Jessica Andrade. And again, Andrade, I mean, is it is it the best version of Andrade that she's taken on a week's notice? Um so I mean, you, you get thrown to Jessica Andrade. So you know what Jessica Andrade can do? She's she's a high output striker who fights in these blitzes and just overwhelms her opponents with ferocity. I've said it before; it's almost like she runs at her opponents. Uh, she just gets in the pocket. Uh, she does hang her hands low. She keeps them low, but she's absolutely fearless. She's not worried about getting hurt. Now she's had struggles at times cutting the cage off against uh, you know elite strikers, people like Rose Namajunas, Yoni, and Jacek. Uh, her wild style got her blasted against Weili Zhang. Um, but those are the exceptions. I mean, when she gets in her, her range, she is a nightmare. She's one of the biggest hitters in the history of women's MMA. Uh, she throws tons of power shots. And what's most impressive about it is she has this incredible cardio that she can throw power shots for the entire fight and not slow down. I mean, she just gets in the pocket, lands hooks, uppercuts, she appears to have even more power at one, uh, excuse me, one twenty-five than one fifteen. I mean, you look at like the Caitlin Chikagian fight. I mean, I'll show you that. Uh, some really hard calf kicks. Uh, she had she has been open to getting her own lead leg kick because she has that really like low base. Uh, but she's a great wrestler. She grabs grabs you. She launches you. I always bring up the Rose, the first Rose Namajunas fight where she won the title. I mean, she picked up Rose and slammed her, but. Everyone always remembers like slamming her on the head, but she picked her up and slammed her like three times. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has some of the most vicious grind upon her. She takes you down. Uh, it, it's a scary thing to get hit by Jessica Andrade when you're on bottom. Now, Erica Blanchfield, and I'm going to start off what I always do with Erica Blanchfield because I promise to until she actually loses the fight. Uh, I'm going to go to my grave saying that she beat Tracy Cortez, that she mm-hmm. should be undefeated. Uh, she is an absolute stud. She looked amazing against Molly McCann, her last fight. She isn't a great athlete, but she's a good technician. Her striking is coming along. And being that she's only 23, like I, it could still make huge jumps from that you know, Molly McCann fight to this one. Uh, but she's a little flat-footed. I do like her volume uh, and her pressure. She she moves forward. Uh, she's a pressure counter-striker, likes to slip and rip. She's starting to show her power. She's starting to gain power, being that she's only 23. I mean, she's starting to go from a girl to a woman. Um, yeah. I, I don't mean that in insulting. Like, no. you know, like say, like, oh, you're 23, you're a girl. I mean, like, it's different. Your body changes. Yeah, it's the, the same thing that happens to a male fighter between ages 20 yeah. and 23. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, 
she, she throws a bunch of leg kicks. I like that. She doesn't check leg kicks, which it was a little bit of an issue. But she had that incredible high kick knockout against Victoria Leonardo and uh, Victor on a way up, which is really impressive. But all that striking does a purpose, and that is to distract, to get her to get you down. She's an absolute elite fighter on the ground. Good entries. She likes to like go to a single leg, run the pipe. Uh, she can also get takedowns from the clinch, upper body locks, inside trips. And, I mean, she showed in the Miranda Merrick fight like the skills she has in, in the takedown department, uh, which doesn't get talked about. We always talk about the what happens when she gets down. Now, her ground game is elite of the elite. I mean, it's it's that good. Uh, incredible top control. Some of the, the greatest ground pound you'll see. She has this mean, like she just comes off like super sweet and nice in interviews, but she has this mean streak when it hits the ground. I mean, she batted McCann in that nasty crucifix position. She is a BJJ black belt. She's an EBI world champion. I mean, she's a true submissions threat, submission specialist. Um, got that great Kimura against Molly McCann in the last fight. Uh, I'm super high in Blanchard, as you mentioned, but this is Jessica and Josh. Uh, I think she's levels ahead of Blanchfield on the feet. Now, if Blanchfield can get the fight to the ground, she could do some serious work. And she's a gamer. Like, she could find a way to get to the ground. But that's hell of a feat against someone who's like, you know, kind of like what we just talked about, Alex Volkanovsky being shorter, stockier, getting underneath her is harder than your, your average person. And if she doesn't get her down, I think Andrade swarms her with power shots and volume like Jessica Andrade does. I think it's too much for her. I think it's going to be too much too soon. Give me Andrade by second round TKO from uh, strikes. Yeah, I'm I'm with you here. And this is, well, I mean, of those class of, uh, of women, Manon Fior, you know, is yeah. probably just a little bit ahead just because – She's 10 years older than some of these other women. Like the time is now like Manon Fior is 32 years old. She doesn't have another five years to develop. That said, that's a very intriguing matchup if they fought each other right now. Oh, absolutely. But I'm I saying, Oh yeah. And I'm talking about Blanchfield and, and for not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, for sure. Like, uh, but you know, if you're because of the age uh, difference and frankly looking pretty polished in her fights is the one that's going to get, you know, into the title picture first. You know, if yeah, she keeps winning, but uh, for the rest of them that are in their early twenties, this is the highest level fight any of them has taken. This is a tougher fight than yeah. than like Barber or Maverick or O'Neill. Yeah, had. and you're saying you're saying this before this matchup. Like, if yeah. she beat Jessica Andrade, she's fine for the title next. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But and she want, she would have been. I want the listeners to know what you were talking. You're talking yes. about before this change. Yes, and. Uh, and she would have been if she'd beaten Tyler Santos uh, as well. Uh, Tyler Santos, I, I, I favored Tyler Santos slightly over Blanchfield, but I saw tons of upset potential. I saw clear routes to victory for, for, for Blanchfield against her. Here it's tougher. Uh, yeah. You've laid out already kind of how terrifying Jessica Andrade is. To come up with apt comparisons for kind of her skill set and her approach, you have to leave the women's divisions. Like you can say, it's almost lazy to go, you know, like Cyborg or like early Amanda Nunes. No, it's like Pride Vanderlei Silva, just <laughs> pure aggression. And talking already going. Silva was was shorter than most of his yeah. opponents and gave up reach to him, and he made it even worse by never throwing anything straight. It's just all these just mean <laughs> hooks coming in. Yeah. That's 
like that's Andrade. Oh my gosh. Rarely, rarely tries to bring the fight to the ground, but if they end up there, absolutely terrifying yeah. on top. Ben, think about something for a second. Imagine if, if Jessica Andrade could soccer kick or oh. stop or stop. Oh. Imagine Jet her holding like ropes uh, and stomping down. Oh my gosh. Oh. Anyways, carry on. And I, I mean, we said after one on our recap after one of Andrade's wins, it was one where you know she won a, a fight, but we were like, it's going to take her forever to. Oh, it was after she beat Chikagian, or no, it was after she beat Calvillo because you know it was coming back from the Shevchenko loss, and we're like, well, it's going to take her forever to get back to Shevchenko. Let's just send her on a world tour. And I said she could go over to one championship and and soccer kick Angela Lee into the ocean. Oh my and, god! And I I still. I, I still stand by that. Oh. oh, she'd be horrifying if she had if she could throw soccer kicks. And <laughs> Think of how horrifying she is without them. Never mind yeah. adding. Oh my gosh, uh, she might she might kill little physically take someone's life if they go to the ground. And Blanchfield is not badly compromised when they get there. All bets are off. Even if Andrade is on, even Andrade, even if Andrade is on top, like I could see Blanchfield surviving the ground and pound, tying on Andrade up looking to sweep or, or or submit. But I have the feeling if they yeah. go to the ground, it's going to be because Andrade plunked her. Yeah, I totally agree, too. I think she might try to get it there, but yeah, I agree. And I, I, I'll say this. I, I, all of us are off if, if Blanchard's on top. If Andrade is on top, yes, Blanchard could sweep her. She could submit her, but it's like less likely. But if yeah. Blanchard's on top, yeah, I agree with you. Because Andrade, from the bottom, she's pretty basic. She doesn't do much other than try to get back up. Yeah. You know, she'll shrimp kind of try to shove him or kick him off and get back up. That That's her, her bottom game. Again, kind of Vanderly Silva-like. Yeah. Uh, Blanchfield, I mean, she's going to be a little taller and have some reach on Andrade, but she's not, like, Blanchfield isn't a tall flyweight either. Even she's, like, pretty compact. No, average, yeah. And it doesn't matter because if Caitlin Chukagian can't keep Andrade out of, like, her, her red zone, then nobody in that division can. Yeah. Uh, so as high as I am on Blanchfield as a, a future contender, if not champ, this one looks pretty basic to me. Andrade just racked up like multiple 30, 25 scorecards on a top 10 contender at flyweight and came out without a mark on her. Uh, I'm, I think she's going to show up and swarm on Blanchfield early, probably hurt her early. Yeah. Get a Blanchfield will survive. Like you said, she's a gamer. She's super tough. Uh, you know, she's she's the type of fighter that as skilled as she is, Blanchfield is going to end up winning multiple fights at some point in her career just because she's like tougher and has more heart. But this ain't sure. one of them. She'll survive to late in the first round, but we'll probably get a TKO on the ground where Blanchfield already looks like she's taken three rounds worth of punishment. Give me on charge by uh, first round TKO here. Yeah. Think about this for a second. Imagine if if we're wrong. Imagine if Blanchfield does take. Andrade down and swarms her on the ground like like the Molly McCann fight or gets a crazy submission against Jessica Andrade. Just imagine what we're saying about her after that. Well, I mean, we're immediately talking about her versus Valentina Shevchenko, and is it has the time finally come for maybe the yeah. most dominant fighter in the sport? Uh, I'd be I'd be happy to have that conversation. I have no rooting interest in this fight other than that it keeps the the division interesting and. I mean, if Andrade puts away Blanchfield, the UFC is going to have to give Andrade whatever she asks for, because otherwise it's going to be like, I'm going to stick around for two more years and just destroy all of all of your up and comers. <laughs> ruin, all, ruin all your plans. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
any other thoughts on this one before we uh, wrap a very abbreviated preview? No. Well, that's been it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 219, Andrade versus Blanchfield. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. Uh, if this is your first time listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. They are normally much longer than this, but <laughs> this is a short card with, frankly, not a whole lot going on. But nonetheless, again, hope you enjoyed it. We try to bring a mix of actual analysis and the occasional humorous or historic asides. Please do give us a like, uh, subscribe, leave us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. And if you think we're way off on any of these picks, and again, I think I picked like half upsets on this thing. So <laughs> let us have it. Uh, but most importantly, uh, join us for the recap. After the main event, we are live on the SureDog YouTube page, usually about 15 minutes after the, the, the final horn, where Keith takes the captain's chair. We will break down all these fights in reverse order, starting with the main event, working all the way down to the first uh cocaine-encrusted uh, prelim. We'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was controversial, what was surprising. There's always something. We'll talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. But most importantly, the live chat is open uh, during that show, so we're taking your questions, your comments, your hot takes in real time. It's uh, a highlight of the week for both of us. We enjoy uh, interacting with you guys and hanging out after the fights. We have a growing community of uh, friends that we that we do that with and would love you to join them. Between now and then, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy football season being over remember that the refs just need to swallow that whistle in the last five minutes of a championship game and uh definitely enjoy the fights 